The following episode of the Nick podcast contains explicit language and spoilers. We highly recommend you watch the corresponding episode before listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to another installment of Cinemax's The Nick Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of the latest episodes with the cast and crew who make it happen. Today we'll be dissecting episode three entitled The Best with the Best to Get the Best with two of the Knickerbocker Hospital's employees. I'm Michael Begler. And I'm Jack Amiel. And we are the show's creators and head writers. And joining us in the studio today and next week is ambulance driver, wrestling manager, hard-boiled egg connoisseur, Tom Cleary. (laughs) But here on the Nick Podcast, he's Chris Sullivan, or affectionately known as Sully. Glad to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. We're very happy to have you. And let's uh, dive right in with how this episode opens. Uh, Good old Thack has uh, found another way to use drugs, and this way is by um, uh, blending both heroin and cocaine and boiling them down into a nice powder and uh, snorting them. But what I think what we found interesting about this was when we shot the scene, Sully, I don't know if you were there for that, but we had like three or four people who were teaching Clive how to boil it down. I think we had (laughs) Dr. Burns, our medical expert. Uh, We had, I think, two of the prop guys. Yeah, Michael Jortner, I think, is our... Michael Jortner and... um that's and, when you know uh, Peter things. Are, yeah, when things have gotten interesting, when the prop guys like I could, I could show him. <laughs> exactly. Because I remember season one, we spent all this time first teaching him how to to get um, a little bit of cocaine out of old co- Coca Cola bottles, and then we and the same day we taught him how to smoke opium. Um, and Sully, you uh, you got to shoot someone up in the episode as well. Uh, did you? Did, did anybody have to show you how to do it during the during the wrestling match? You were shooting up your. Uh, you, you, yeah, you're, my you're a wrestler. Yeah, uh, I, I got I got a couple of pointers on how to how to draw how to draw liquid cocaine out of a vial. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had never I had never done that before. That wasn't something they covered in school. Was there any medical training that you got from Burns throughout the the two seasons that he had to show you what to do? Me, no. I mean, <laughs> I think the the kind of the the brutish the brutish point of of uh, of Cleary and, and Pouncey were, as you guys have have pointed out several times is that they were more hired because they were horsemen and and right. they're more manual laborers than than any than guys who who know anything about uh, medicine or or saving lives. Yeah, I mean I think that ambulance drivers of the era were really just guys who were strong enough to carry a stretcher down a flight of stairs right. and heft it into a into a uh, an ambulance. And you've had to do that a bunch of times. Yeah, no, it's all my special it, skills and my uh, my resume. <laughs> I mean, are there times when we're all watching you and you've got some guy and it's getting really heavy or you have to lift it over a certain like precipice and you're like, okay, guys, I don't really do this for a living? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that, that that's the that's the thing that, that even I forget about when I when I establish an action at the beginning of uh at the beginning of the day is that I forget that we're gonna have to do it ten to fifteen times. But lucky for lucky for us, uh Steven Soderbergh moves at a pace. Um where where that doesn't happen very often. Well, you're ripped now, right? Because of the show. A very ripped, uh, <laughs> full six pack, um, very large pectoral muscles. Right. Well, we've we've asked you to do a lot of stuff. We've very asked large. you to pull a wagon. We asked you. Um, you we had we had you in a hole shoveling in you know on a cold day uh, in a grave. Um, you're sort of our go to guy for physicality. 
Yeah, I got to start complaining more about that. Maybe it's just because I don't ever say anything. They're like, oh, he's fine. He'll do it. Look at all that. Well, look at all that. How extra body hair? He'll be fine. How? I'm sure a lot of people want to know how hard was it to pull the wagon in episode seven of last year. The, the wagon, the wagon scene was was fine on flat ground and on gravel. It was when it was when we switched locations and had to go slightly uphill through the dirt, right. which I think mostly got edited out. That that became that became a, a bit of. Um, a bit of a task, and I, I definitely had to visit uh, a chiropractor and a m- massage therapist after those couple of days. Well, I hope you sent us the bill. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it's in the mail. Oh, good. Excellent. We'll be sure to ignore that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We've given you all of these different sort of weird underground sports that you seem to be a part of. Yeah. Did you Do you know anything about wrestling, or were you just faking the whole thing? I mean, I grew up with the WWF. I mean, everyone loves an inherent dramatic plot line. And that's what wrestling, you know, has always provided is uh, instant drama and instant, you know, the pitting of of one man against another. Um, And now one woman against another and and any mixture of 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 all those things. But uh, but yeah, I certainly had no had no experience with underground wrestling rings. Um, (laughs) Really? You should hang out with me on a Thursday because a lot of time in those. Well, that. (laughs) I mean, the one thing about it is that set was pretty incredible because yeah. we were in this warehouse in Red Hook and um, that we had two sets going on there. We had Huber's Palace, which also shows up, which is the big carnival mm-hmm. uh, in episode three. And on a, just on another floor, another area of this giant warehouse, they set up that amazing uh, wrestling ring yeah. um, and also the, the, the back room. Um, and what I remember of that day, there there was a hell of a lot of smoke. I yeah. mean, it, that place, it, it was like... Uh, a, a bar in 1950 at, at two in the morning. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was just... this this old shipping warehouse that that they've recently in Red Hook that they've recently turned into studios. A lot of stuff films down there, but they had gotten I don't know how many extras we had a hundred hundred extras at least. Yeah, and the and the second AD just just told any, anyone who wanted to smoke to go ahead and smoke, and so they all they all <laughs> they worked all out did. cigarettes, um, and I was like, well, I'll have a cigar then, and by the end of that. By the end of that scene, I had smoked three cigars before 9 a.m. Oh, my God. And spent the rest of the day sick, I mean, violently ill, but also, <laughs> but also wide, like wired. Couldn't, couldn't right. go to sleep, couldn't like sleep it off because of the nicotine that was coursing through my, my veins. You swam back to Manhattan. It was nuts. It was nuts. Lesson learned. Yeah, and actually, um, we see Huber's Palace in this in this episode, you're not in, in that particular scene, but Bertie and um, Genevieve uh, kind of walk through. And it was a real place. This was an era with no radio, no television. Movies hadn't really become a, an entertainment format yet. So this was a place where people would go. And there were all these different places. There was Coaster and Biles Music Hall. And, uh, and this was a place o- owned by George H. Huber. And he had a freak show inside. And, so, and my favorite is... Um, when I looked up some of the things that he had in his freak show, there was Jojo the Dogface Boy, Biggie Liza the Fat Negress, and Baby Bunting and the Smallest Living Horse. And so, <laughs> yeah, it is, I just expect people to be like, oh my God, that is a tiny horse. Okay, let's move on. You know, and so there were these places where people went. And what was amazing was Howard Cummings built this extraordinary indoor. Originally, we said, where do we want to go, Michael? 
Uh, we were going to do Coney Island. That's right. <clears throat> but that would have been the entire budget for the entire season. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because um, we couldn't build it and we couldn't go there. So but between the set those that two you guys, things. The set you guys ended up with is one of the coolest coolest sets I've ever worked on on anything. It, it looked it looked amazing. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and, and when you walked through it, I mean, all of us were like little kids because we had people doing freak show stuff. We had people throwing knives and, and, and doing hypnotism and, and playing instruments. So it was, it was kind of like being in that world for a day. And you realize that was really cool. Like, I wish they had that today. I wish I could go to, like, Huber's Palace and, you know, and go see Mastodon, the world's largest hog or something, you know, which is a real thing they had at that place. So you like exploitation is what you're saying. Um, only if those pe- the people are powerless and really feel used and abused. Well, speaking of being used and abused, maybe it's a good time to, uh, <laughs> to, to introduce our lovely nurse, Lucy Elkins. <laughs> What's up, um, my users and abusers? Hello, Eve Hewson. How are you? Lovely Eve Hewson joining us. Um, we're good. How are you? I'm good. I miss you guys. Yeah, we miss Love you too. Love hearing your voices. We, you should all know that we're not in the same space. Michael and I are in Los Angeles, and and Sully and Eve are in uh, in New York because um, they're cooler than we are. <laughs> That's that is true. And and Eve has so much going on in this episode. Michael, what are some of the things? Well, the big thing for Eve, I mean, the big thing for Lucy in this episode is first that we'll, we see her being courted by uh, Henry Robertson, and that's a that's a fantastic scene because. Lucy is walking through the um, the men's ward carrying a full bedpan, and she's having this conversation about God and reading the Bible with this bedpan directly under Henry's um, <laughs> nose. Um, now, was that was that a uh, that was a Stephen choice, wasn't it, Eve? Yeah, that was a Stephen choice. Yeah. Uh, I, I just watched the scene. Full bedpan I think, ideas. I I think it was in the dialogue. I think it was in the dialogue. She says, "I'm holding a full a full bedpan." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm holding a full bed. I say something like, "I'm holding a full full bedpan." Right. So I'm, you know, something to do with you know him being a piece of shit and me oh, having a piece right. of shit in a bedpan or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of those jokes, those artsy jokes. <laughs> I, I saw you in here with these sick men. You're very good. You, you brighten their day. Well, how could you not? Were you referring to the comatose patient? The men who were delirious on morphine? Or the ones who were asleep? Then you brighten mine. Don't you believe me? I'm holding a full bedpan, so it's harder to believe than you realize. It's got to be kind of weird because we have an English actress in Kara Seymour who's playing Irish. We've got Sully who's from sunny California who's playing Irish. Yet you're Irish mm-hmm. and you play American. Yeah. Does it just become gobbledygook after a while when you hear someone else playing Irish? Yeah, does it that's mess the you most up? confusing. That's the most confusing scenes. Hmm. Usually when I do when I do my accent in any scene, it's I have a line that I say before before we do the scene in my head. My dialect coach gets mad at me. She's like, you're supposed to say it out loud, Eve. Don't say it in your head. <laughs> but uh, so like that usually will get me into it. But if if I'm doing my accent and someone else is doing an Irish accent, I get completely thrown. Like in 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 episode seven of season one, we were doing that scene where we were pushing the gurneys during the riot and an actor 
came up into the scene and he had a line and I had a line back to him, but I had no idea that he was supposed to be Irish. And he completely threw me. <laughs> and I, I couldn't remember my line. <laughs> and Stephen, of course, was like, uh, 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 uh. Uh, we have to go back because Eve sucked. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know what line. What are we? I don't, I don't know who I am. Um, so, so Sully those, had to go reset and, and, and pull the wagon through the street again. I just realized, yeah, yeah, sorry. Probably... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you should send me the bill for the, right. for the masseuse. Did you guys have a scene together ever? Like where you guys had dialogue between no, each other? No, but that would be cool. I still don't think we have. We've, I mean, we've been in scenes but together, like, but we haven't had like a one-on-one convo. Yeah, right. Because I would imagine that Sully, you'd be intimidated about your accent, and then Eve would get confused. But Sully's and... got a great Irish accent. I told him that the first uh, time I heard it. And that, and that put me at ease. Like literally, <laughs> like maybe the first week we were shooting, uh, Eve, Eve put me put me at ease about my about yeah. my accent, which yeah. was actually very. <laughs> very helpful and <laughs> and confidence building for the rest of the shoot so yeah. I did appreciate it's that. Hard. It's hard but he did it well. So Eve did you have difficulty doing a West Virginian accent? Did you have to work on that a lot? Um, weirdly enough I did a Sam Shepard play in at, when I was at NYU at this scene from Fool for Love and I, we weren't supposed to do accents and we were rehearsing and like this this southern accent came out of me and my scene partner looked at me and was like, what the hell? And I somehow <laughs> just had the hang of it. So when I went to 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 do Lucy's accent, I wasn't that scared, but I have a dialect coach that I've worked with for years um, on all different auditions and all different types of, of accents. And so we kind of had a good thing going and we just started working on it when I got the part and picked a small town in West Virginia and listened to you know, recordings of women talking about their coal mining husbands. And um, we just sort of, you know, broke it down. And and, and the, after that month of prep, it was much easier to sort of to pick it up every day and practice it. And I read, you know, Bible verses and did cold readings and tried to talk. And, you know, it was she makes it really simple, actually. Your dialect coach is Coley. And Coley she's Calhoun. Great. Yeah, she's amazing. And she's great. What is the line that she makes you say, supposedly out loud, but you don't? Oh, um, it's, his temperature is 105 and his pulse is rapid at 166. He has vomited three times in the last 90 minutes. I feared his bronchitis was worsening, so I summoned you. <laughs> but that was from the first season, and and she was like, "If if you get a second season, we should we should probably choose a different line because that's going to get boring after a while." But we didn't. We, so I've been saying it for two seasons now. That seems to cover all the sounds, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temperature is the one that really kind of brings you into yeah. it. That's so good. We had this great actor playing your father, yeah, Stephen Spinella. Spinella. How was his accent? His accent was great. He didn't work with Coley, I don't think. Or no. maybe he did. I can't remember. So it wasn't quite as good. Yeah, basically, Coley <laughs> is—he's great. I know. I know. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, he and his two—he and his two Tony Awards clearly didn't get the role. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's—he's he's such an interesting cat, man. He—he he was so—he came in and he had this—he just wanted to kind of play on set. Yeah. Um, and that was really, really interesting between the two of you because we really hadn't had an actor come in and—and and sort of 
take over like that. And this is a guy who, I don't think you had him as a professor, but he teaches at NYU he, where yeah, you trained. He teaches at um, the Experimental Theater Wing where I went for a semester. But he teaches the graduate program. I was in the undergraduate program. But yeah, I've never worked with an actor who was so kind of method, if 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 that's what his approach was. He was very much, he wanted to talk in the character before we went into a scene. And I'm so not that kind of actor that I was like kind of sort of nervous. I was hoping no, that I was sort dancing, of... You're usually <laughs> dancing before the scene to music that only you can hear, I've noticed. Usually listening to Drake and yeah, um, <laughs> that's how I get into character. But but I was just sort of hoping that I was giving him what he what he needed. But he was amazing. In that scene where he beats me, he really beat me. He threw in a few punches in there that wasn't in the script, remember? Oh <laughs> we yeah, like, yeah. Oh. He got that that he got really into it. Yeah. I mean again, like it, it I think in our minds we saw it as a lot of it playing first at that table and growing slowly and then him taking you back to the bed and 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 beating you um but i mean he really he 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 said i remember him saying like i just want to move i want to get up i want to do this Mm -hmm. and like and really grabbing onto you and i mean and when he goes at you i mean when he's verbally yelling at you i mean you could you You didn't mean to lie he was unreal the spittle you let fly from your wretched mouth was the most disgusting humiliating sewage my ears have ever heard You think God is just gonna forgive a stupid girl like you? You not only made yourself look foolish, you made me look worse. I didn't mean to. No, you didn't mean to. The doctor didn't mean to lie. Didn't mean to steal. I don't know if you really had to act at that moment. No, not really. That's what's great about working with a with a great actor like that. That's how I feel about working with Clive too. Is is like, I never really acting. I just feel like I'm sort of reacting to him. When we see you, we don't feel you're acting either, Aww. Eve. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. We we actually adore you beyond beyond. I adore you guys. That's one of the things that's quite lovely about our set is that we all really kind of like each other. We yeah. hang out. Lunch we go is to so dinner. fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, we just, I, I mean, for me, you know, obviously, clearly I'm just avoiding my family, but <laughs> the rest of you seem to, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. For a show that's so dark and miserable at times, we're really happy people, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's what I always say. I mean, you hear about people working on comedy sets and they say it's like the worst place in the world because everyone's sort of saving up their laughs and their their buzz for for the take. Um, and I feel like it's the opposite on our set. You know, we're dealing with really difficult sort of subject matter, but we're all pranking each other and uh, making fun of each other in between takes. I think it goes yeah, back well, to the the pace of the thing set up too. Like I agree. everyone feels that their their time is being respected and it's being used well, yeah. and and no one is sitting around. No one's tired because yeah. they're always moving and we're always moving on to the next thing. So everyone. Uh, I feel I feel respected, and I feel like everyone yeah. else feels respected, yeah. and, and everyone else is trusted to do their job, and they all do it so well, and it makes it real easy. It's a very free set. Like if you want to walk somewhere or do something, are you are you comfortable now with 
the free range that you get within our sets and within our takes? Because Stephen doesn't really direct your acting very much. Yeah, he doesn't. And that was sort of scary to to sort of walk into. But thankfully, Michael Angarano had worked with him before and he had said to me, you're going to think that he hates you. He doesn't say anything. He'll probably just tell you to go again, and you won't know why. And you're, in, you know, you'll be insecure, and you'll it'll be like, he hates me, hates me. You know, I suck. But he was like, no, he's just that's that's kind of just the way that he, the the way that he is. He he lets you do your thing, and and if he's got it, you know, he'll move on, and if not, he'll do it again. Um, so I had that sort of in my head before I went on to shooting season one, and then you get used to to Steven sort of the way he indicates whether he likes what you're doing or not. Usually like a <laughs> nod or, or a grunt or something like that. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, I like that he kind of doesn't really tell you what to do. It makes me feel kind of like I have some good ideas. Yeah, and you do. Um, <laughs> that's one of the nice things is that he hires all of us because we're, we, know that, you know, we know how to do our jobs. And at least we hope we do. And you have to sort of... He's never going to say, hey, great job, buddy, and smack you on the back and, you know, take you out to a ball game. But what's, you know, what you have to learn to do is to take yes for an answer and realize, okay, you know, if he has a problem with it, he'll say something. And he didn't say something and we're now moving on to something else. So clearly that's okay. And it's it's very hard. And a lot of people who come onto our set, you know, Stephen doesn't do it, you know, to be manipulative or to be anything. He's just, he's so stream down about the work and he's you got know, other if, shit to worry about than your ego really yeah. absolutely in absolutely. a reverse in a reverse kind of way it, it's uh, it's oddly confidence building like yeah mm-hmm. most people think that that getting getting you know endless compliments or things like that would build the confidence but th- they don't feel uh, after a while they they lose their impact and so right. the one the one or two times Steven smiles and gives you a thumbs up and then just walks away, mm. you're like, that's it. That's your day. Your day yeah. is made. Um, I've worked with other directors who are like, amazing, amazing. You're excellent, excellent. I'm like, why didn't just cure cancer with that performance? It can't be yeah. that phenomenal. And then you and then you think, oh, well, they're just they're lying to me to make me, me feel better. And that makes me feel like they think I'm stupid, mm-hmm. that I would believe they're that BS or whatever and then it's just like a weird relationship where you're like can you not just tell me sort of the yeah. truth and I love that Stephen is very honest um, but only when he needs to be um, and it just makes you feel sort of more secure so you, you feel trusted I was telling I yeah. was telling other actors because the in the acting community around New York this show is like mythical because of the way we've been working and everyone wants to be a part of it and they all want to hear how it's going and how they function and I was like there's a great amount of trust and it all goes back to trust and and you know hiring people to do a certain job and Stephen realizes at least at least this is how I put it to people he knows that sometimes we sometimes we'll make a great choice sometimes we'll just make an, a good choice and sometimes we'll we'll make an okay choice but we're never going to make a, a series ending bad choice (laughs) and so there's there's no there's maybe and i could be putting thoughts into his head but there's no point in stopping the momentum and affecting the morale to try and make an okay choice into a good choice and a good choice into a great choice when you could just keep moving and and you can't you shouldn't you shouldn't have you shouldn't have great choice after great choice after huge choice after big moment so well well, didn't didn't uh jeremy bob who plays um, Herman Barrow, 
didn't he uh, last season kind of coach you uh, for your first day? Oh yeah, no, he he started work a week before I did, and we had known each other. Uh, we had known each other before this, and he called me on the phone. And he's like, "Listen, if you got big ideas, you better bring them out on the first take because you're not going to get to take three. So, and that was it. That was the phone call, and right. so that that was and that was uh, a great a great thing to hear to kind of come out of the come out of the gate swinging. So were you guys more relaxed this season, or did you still feel the same amount of nerves coming onto the set? I mean, I guess it must depend on each individual scene that you're playing. I thought I was the queen of the world when I finished season one. I thought they, you know, that I could do anything. I had overcome so many, you know, obstacles and fears in, in my sort of first big acting job. Um, and I thought, season two, I'm going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. This. Yeah, I got this. And then, you know, you guys sent me the scripts and it completely went back to, holy God, how am I going to do this? I'm so nervous. You know, I'm I'm not going to be able to pull it off. But those sort of those, those nerves and, and the fear of it kind of gives you um, adrenaline and it makes you work really hard at it and and then it's more satisfying when you actually have lived through the season and you realize that you don't suck so bad and and, and everybody's sort of happy with with what you did and I'm, I'm sure it also helps that we we even though we shoot out of order we're kind of shooting in order I mean we we may cross board but a lot of we're kind of going step by step through each episode um, yeah. so I'm sure I mean because I know at least for you, Eve, like one of your big scenes and towards the end of the season um, yeah. happened, like, I think on your last day. It and, was my last scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's a that's a huge scene for you without giving anything away. Um, so I'm I'm just curious if that just having all that other stuff behind you made it easier to kind of come into that. Yeah, it was kind of like I was I was I, I honestly feel like I sort of grew as an actor as Lucy grew as a as a as a nurse and as a woman. I mean, she went from being very unsure of herself at the beginning of season one, as I did as an actor, to sort of becoming more confident and knowing, you know, how to carry herself and, and um, what decisions she she wanted to make. And so when she sort of goes through her transformation in season two, it was it was it was nice to sort of be able to go step by step um, and then, you know, leading up to the to the big thing at the end, I just remember thinking, OK, I have about four months to learn this, so right. I better I better know it on the day. And I did. <laughs> I did know God damn right. You did, man. You nailed I mean, and we did two takes of that. Again, I don't want to give yeah, anything well, away. Yeah, well, Stephen didn't even want to do a second take. We did right. we did one take and he was like, right, let's move on. And, right. and I begged him to do a, to a second take because I knew that I could do better than the first one. And then we did uh, we did the second take, and he looked at me, and he was like, "Yeah, that was better." <laughs> did you guys? Um, did you have a favorite prop? Like, did you take anything home? Like, did you take home one of your like little? I wish I could take my hat. I was about home. to say, did you take your hat home? That was my you question. Mean the, you mean, mean the coffee filter? Uh, yes. The coffee filter. Yeah, I would put that in a little glass box and and have it forever. That's funny. The the only thing I took home was a coffee can. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually from my, from my apartment. Oh right, that yeah. that does yeah. play in later. I didn't even know you could. We were, are we allowed to ask for those things? I guess you can ask. I'm going to text Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ellen, Ellen has has. Did, Silly, did you get a hat? 
I did not. You didn't get a hat. So, Steven, and I asked Steve, Soderbergh got a times. hat. Of course Steven Soderbergh got a hat. Oh, no, it was the last day of shooting, I think, uh, season one. She bestowed upon him a, a freshly made one. Um, everybody. A hat? What kind of hat? The ambulance driver. It says oh, cool. The coolest hat. Yeah, no, I did not. I did not get one of those hats. Damn it. Between that hat and Gallinger's hat um, on the boat, that little, that little like, cap, I was so oh my god! I I wanted I I'm not a hat guy, but like, I would I would walk around everywhere. You can go to 20 stores in Williamsburg and get those hats right now. <laughs> sure, it's the hipster hat. Um, Sully, you know it's interesting when we originated thought of the character, we didn't think of someone who was physically like you. The original picture we saw of of the character was sort of a skinny kind of you know guy with a sort of a push broom mustache. And once we had you, there was something that it allowed us to do so many things that we couldn't, that we didn't think we could do. And so suddenly we were able to dive down. So like the scene at the, um, at the gravesite with, with Harriet, where he talks about what it's like to come to America and stuff like that, all those scenes suddenly got so much more doable and, and we could, we could deepen them and, and go to all these places because you you can play brutish Cleary, but the the, the the warm, soft underbelly of the guy is so much more apparent. Like I forgive you so many things because you're such you know there's some there's a warmth that that you sort of can't help but but feel. Are there things that that you looked at and said, "I don't know how to play both sides of that or did you did you kind of get it from what we wrote? I kind of got all of it from what you guys wrote, and I think one of the things—it's less less about what you what what is in there, and more about what you left out, which is which I've always found interesting—is that everyone in this show has a sexuality to them, and there's everyone in them has that kind of a a, a sexual relationship or 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 a physical relationship with someone else, and you didn't give Cleary one. And and tech tech like in, in any other show, this brutish, loud, drinking, smoking guy would also be a womanizer or visiting prostitutes or, or or something like that. And the fact that none of that was in there changes changes the the archetype of of who this guy is, and I think actually makes him surprisingly like you say a little more forgivable and a little softer because you realize that his motives have 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 nothing to do with that that aspect of exploitation you know does that make sense mm -hmm. um yeah and that always that always gave me a lot of freedom as far as all of the other choices i made i could push as far as i wanted because he wasn't a lech he wasn't you know he wasn't mistreating women he wasn't using women he wasn't doing all of these things so it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a shining bit of light in his in his darkness my divining rod on the character was this idea that harriet harriet wore her 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 habit like a like like armor it pushed the world mm -hmm. away it basically said no one no one mess with me i'm a nun you got to give me reverence and i'm going to desexualize myself and i'm going to de uh, i'm i'm going to 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 be who I want to be without anyone telling me what to do because I have this sort of moral authority. And what I love about Cleary, and we ended up filling, backfilling that 
later and we knew where we wanted to take him was this guy doesn't respect nuns or religion really because of the fact that of how he was raised at this orphanage where he was treated so badly by nuns. What's that say? It's chicken scratch. Compliments of Sister Clarice. She'd wail in my left hand with a three-foot dowel every time I tried to use it, forced me to use my right. Told me the left hand were wicked, sinister-like. She'd whack me, giving it out till I puke myself. Couple years of that, turn you against them evil goats, God, the whole thing. And that actually came from my grandfather, who was a Jew and left-handed, and had the great good luck during World War One of um, being put into a Catholic school because it was a safe place to put children at the time and the nuns just mm-hmm. beat him mercilessly uh, because he wanted to write with his left hand and of course he was the Hebrew so we sort of transferred that over to, to Cleary and what I love is the idea that he doesn't have any reverence for the for the habit he knows that there's that you know from his perspective there's a there's a there's a fallible human being under there and he is and he is trying to crack that nut and find the soft you know the the, the, the vulnerable spot in her and I've said it. I've said it before that everything, everything that that Cleary ended up becoming, is owed is owed to Kara Seymour's performance, mm-hmm. because the way that she responded to to him made him. The way that she the way that she held her ground, the way that she joked around, the way that she she busted his balls. Literally, the way that Kara played all of those moments. I I mean I owe I owe a lot to her for that because it was such an intuitive interesting active choice for her to make and it, and it was it was unbelievably helpful. Is it hard for you guys I mean like you know my family my parents they they know Jack and I from doing comedies romantic comedies and for you know when they saw the show I think it would I think they were proud but it took them back a, you know a, a little bit. How did your families react to seeing seeing the show I mean I mean look with all the surgeries and then all the racism and like how did your sister Jordan whom I like better than you um <laughs> <laughs> most people do um she's great yeah she's kind of awesome but uh how you know I you told the story about Jordan coming to set um one day like the first time yeah and she was like God damn it, Eve, you are so lucky you get your first big job and you get to work with Steven Soderbergh and make out with Clive Owen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what was really nice for, for me with the show was I got to sort of show my family 10 episodes of me acting, mm-hmm. which is not only just 10 episodes, but this part is such a good part. I do, I've never read a better part for a young woman and I've been auditioning for things for six, eight years. Um, and it's just such a good role and I get to do so much in it. And, you know, my parents were always so supportive and and they'd seen me act in, in smaller parts in, in other movies. But for years I'd been sort of telling them, like, no, 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 I can act, I can act. And they were kind of just going off of... of off of you know just me sort of promoting myself um but now they they actually get to watch me do it and it's just really nice that I can kind of show my friends and and they do sort of people who have seen the show definitely sort of look at me in a different way and they treat me in a different way and and it's I've sort of gained a bit of respect that I didn't have before which I which I'm really grateful for yeah now Sully your brother came to set right yeah 
Yeah, he did. Um, is, is he an actor? No, no. He um, he works in property development out in uh, and property management out out in um, Los Angeles. But uh, that was the first that was the first big set he was ever ever able to visit. Just his visit coincided with shooting and stuff like that. But um, like you said, you know, for the f- for for your family, it becomes your family's always proud of you no matter what you do but there's kind of a there's a great kind of relief in showing them something like this because you know that that their their worry for you or that their the sac whatever sacrifices they've made for you along the way are paying off and are and we're worth it and we're all all of the choices and maybe sleepless nights that they've had wondering if right <laughs> if you deciding to be an actor was a good choice right. um Maybe they have a little bit of uh, relief um, from that, which is we have all the confidence in the world in ourselves. We think <laughs> we have to, 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 to in order to walk into a room and, and present ourselves and, and hopefully get the job. But it's hard to it's hard. You want you want everyone else in your family to, to rest at ease and, and, and have the same confidence. It's funny. I, and this has done it. It's funny. I was uh, I happened to have been at a dinner maybe a month ago with Soderbergh and uh, Howard Cummings, who's our production designer and um uh and Michael Polair who's our line producer and 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 I was saying that you know my 16 year old you know said to me I dad I want to make movies and I'm like oh god you know have you, have you have you thought about a career in the law you know anything and <laughs> and it's funny because I went out and I did this thing that was my my dream Michael went out and did his you guys went out and did yours and I work on an entire set where all these people are 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 fulfilling their dream, and I'm sitting there at this dinner, and I'm telling sort of, God, you know, I wish my kid would be going to law or something, and sort of kind of stopped me, and he said, Why? Like, look, it's it's a great way to. We all love our lives. Like, this is great. What a great way to make your make your living. And you know, it's easy for him to say that because he's not, you know, my kid's dad. But you know, I I sort of had to take that step back and go, you know, he's right. Like, you know, it's it's what a great way to make a living but I'm still the scared father who's thinking to himself oh man it's so hard he's going to get hurt he's going to you know he's going to struggle sure. and what you have to realize is yeah so what you know so- yeah. someone's got to make it why not him you know yeah the greatest the greatest gift my parents ever gave me was was they never gave me the slightest hint that that they never made me feel like this wasn't possible Right. There was never a, there was never a moment of 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 like Plan B or, or any of that stuff, and it was a, it was a really it was a I didn't realize it until recently, where I looked back and realized, oh, this was never it was never a question that this is what was going to happen, at least as far as like the path I was going to take. Yeah. Well, I can say that if yeah. if your family liked season one, they're going to be blown away as you guys are by season two. I mean, it it is it looks incredible. It it feels incredible. It it really it takes the show to an, a whole other level. All right. Well, that will wrap up this edition of the Nick Podcast. Today's episode was produced by Barry Finkel with production help from Emily Rubin. Eve, it's been wonderful, wonderful having you on the show and being here. And Sully, we can't thank you enough for being here as well. Make sure to check out next week's episode entitled "Wonderful Surprises" at 10 p.m. this Friday only on Cinemax. And then join us once again for the podcast when we will be going up in flames with our visual effects supervisor, Leslie Robson Foster. Hey, if you like what you hear, let us know. Give us a review in iTunes and 
Share the word on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, where you can find more great content under At The Nick. Tell your friends and family. Create fan art from the Nick Tumblr page. If anyone is dressing up as their favorite character for Halloween, Instagram it. Help spread the word. So until next time, I'm Michael Begler. And I'm Jack Amiel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>